1: Welcome to Wealthian, and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Andrew Brill. Our mission is to help all of us keep and grow our money. Through interviews with our experts, we'll break down economic trends, markets, and investments. But Wealthian's not just a channel. It's a conversation with our community. So please, keep the feedback coming. If there's something you'd like us to talk about or someone you'd like to hear from, let us know. And if you could, like and subscribe to the channel. We'd really appreciate it. Now let's dive into today's episode, which is our weekly market recap. I'd like to welcome in Brett Kenwell. Brett's an options analyst at eToro, the eTrading and investing platform. Brett focuses on market research and has been featured on CNBC, Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, The Street, and many others, including right here on Wealthion. Previously, Brett has been a financial journalist at The Street, covering many different markets and other topics. Brett, thanks so much for joining me.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. Appreciate the intro.
1: Certainly. And I, I want to start with a, a tweet that I read of yours this week, actually on Thursday, and I, I thought it was great, and I, I want to start there. So I'm going to read it. So I apologize for looking at my paper, but it's not you versus the market you tweeted, and the screens are not the battlefield. It's you versus you, and the battlefield is in your head. Trading and investing is a mental game. The sooner you realize that, The better. So I'm going to call you my financial psychologist and ask you exactly what you meant by that.
0: You know, ironically, I always um, compare the market to the ocean, and uh, the market's the ocean, and and traders and investors are the surfers. And ironically, I don't surf, so it's (laughs) kind of a funny analogy. But um, you know, some days are going to be great surfing days. You know, it's going to be perfect weather, sunny, excellent waves. Other days it's gonna be boring. There'll be nothing to do. Um, You just sit out there and paddle around. And and other days it's way too dangerous to even be in the water. So uh, my point being with the tweet, just that, you know, the market is gonna do what it's gonna do. It doesn't care what you think. So many people, I I see this all the time and if it works for them, it works for them, that's great. But for a lot of people, it doesn't. They get this mindset where it's, they're fighting the market and they're, you know, they're trying to scratch out some points on the S&P or, battle of stock up and down a certain level. And it's, it, it's it's not a battle against the market. You're not fighting the market, you're really fighting yourself. And you're trying to find a strategy um, that you can consistently repeat over and over that works for you. Um, and that just takes time.
1: So, uh, you know, I, I guess we're catching a really good wave right now, if we want to use the surfing. And I've been <laughs> surfing, so I, it, it's not that easy and I'm not good at it at all. But I, we are catching a really nice wave right now. And it, the S&P over 5,000 now, and you know the other indexes are obviously right near their highs so how do you see this going at this point now the s p's gotten to that like that five thousand mark you know where is this going at this point
0: yeah you know it's been a fun couple of months um market really kicked off the rally right at the end of october so it's been i think Assuming if the S&P can close higher this week, which it's set to do provided, you know, we don't have a big pullback this Friday, um, you know, it'll be up 14 out of 15 weeks. So it's been a really fun ride for anyone who's been long for people who have, you know, wanted to see their 401ks get back to those old highs. Um, and it's been a great ride. But, you know, at the same time, we've probably pulled forward some of the, you know, 2024 annual returns. We, it's atypical to rally like this. It's um, obviously not a sustainable trend. So at some point we'll have to, uh, you know, see things kind of level out a little bit and, um, you know, we'll have our consolidation or pullback period at some points. More a question of when, not if. So, but it's been fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about that mental toughness and fighting ourselves. You talked about being up 14 out of 15 weeks at what point do you get cautious? I mean, our investors range in age from probably their young 20s being out of college to retirement age where they don't want to see their retirement. Now that they're, like you said, 401ks are getting back to where, they sh- where they'd where they like them to be anyway. How do you protect yourself at this point?
0: Yeah, you know, like you just mentioned, that age range between 20s and near or at retirement so wide and broad. And it really so much of it comes down to what an individual investor is uh, capable of sitting through from a risk perspective. If I was a younger investor making, you know, regular contributions to a 401k um, I wouldn't alter anything. Um, that goes for railing 15 or 14 out of 15 weeks. It, it also goes for, you know, 20 when we were in the bear market, we were down 20%. So um, the market is a, is a long-term compounding machine. That's, that's what it does. Getting to 5,000 just kind of exemplifies that fact. Um, so I wouldn't alter my, you know, my path personally, if if I was a younger investor. Now, if I was older or even if I was more active, um, as an active investor or a trader, you know, I, I might think this is a good opportunity to lock in some of the gains we've seen over the last three months. It's an opportunity to either, you know, raise stop losses or maybe put some hedges in place. Um, but as a, as a retiree or someone nearing retirement, I think you just have to ask yourself like, what's your risk tolerance like? What's your outlook on the economy? I don't. I'm not one who likes to fight the longer term trend, which does favor the upside. Um, and I'm an optimist at heart, so um, of course I like to think that you know the market will continue to generate uh, nice returns over the long term. But um, yeah, when it comes to that kind of thing, <clears throat> excuse me, it's just uh, kind of up to your individual risk tolerance. I think.
1: So somebody who's not willing to take the risk i mean uh, i pop tums like they're candy so you know the the risk for me isn't such so great but would you prefer being in certain funds where the risk is like an s&p fund where the risk is sort of spread over a wide range of stocks yeah there's obviously the magnificent seven that are buoying up the s&p at this point but you're going to ride the wave and the wave is going to be buoyed by the the really good stocks it's going to be pulled down a little bit but In the long run it's probably going to go up incrementally it's not going to have the tremendous gains that you're going to see if you invest in these individual stocks
0: sure yeah a more diversified approach is is absolutely the way to go like you said um being invested in the broader broader market indices s p 500 you know specifically um is kind of the safer way to go when it comes to equities um, picking individual industries and uh, sectors, which I know we'll get into some of that in a little bit, but um, that can have both huge rewards but also enormous risk and we do not have to look back very far just you know a year and a half ago to see what some of that risk really looked like when when things came tumbling down so yeah diversification really helps um, but you have to be you know cognizant of risk everywhere right everyone thinks bonds tend to be this really safe haven, this place to hide out. And for maybe a lot of instances it is, but we also saw what happened when the fed raised rates. So aggressively what happened to bonds, you know, a lot of the bond funds really, really suffered. So, um, I know for me personally, I have a lot of family members and, um, you know, friends with bond exposure who didn't, not only didn't expect that to happen, but didn't know that could happen with bonds. So it's really just a game of, you know, spreading things outright and, and making sure that you kind of know the risks going into it as best you can.
1: And kind of being educated as well. I you know, you could read your stuff on eToro and, and kind of get educated on on Bond stuff. You can come to wealthy dot com where we can help you out with, you know, even an investment advisor if you want to do that. So it's it's mainly about educating yourself, I would assume.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Education plays a, a big role in it. And you know, that's kind of the thing, you know, just from my personal perspective, that's what I love about the market is, you know, every market cycle is a little bit different. You know, we've had the highest uh, rate of inflation in 40 years, yet the market and the economy are responding in a completely different manner than it did in the eighties. And so, you know, I'm, it's just, it's fun for me to, to kind of constantly learn. You, you are always learning in this game and that's, that's kind of the fun part. I think
1: we learn. And I know you talked about it and we see the employment numbers that are pretty good. I mean, the, the CPI, the adjusted CPI came in this week. It's a, it's a, was a little, I mean, a fraction worse than they thought it was, but still really good. So you have high interest rates, but you have everything else that seems to be trending in the right direction. Is it, you know, do you see interest rates staying here? I would assume now that because things are good, interest rates aren't going to be cut and probably until the summertime. And is that too late at this point?
0: You know, that's hard to say if it'll be too late or not. Um, At the surface and at the moment, no, it doesn't feel like it. Um, Like you mentioned, the the labor reports have been strong. The economic reports have been pretty robust these last, um, really this last month, but it's it's been a continuation. Um, And inflation is getting to where it needs to be. Um, Apparently for the Fed, it's not to where it is supposed to be for them. Um, And that's okay. Okay. You know, on an annualized basis, the, the PCE figures are, are back down into that 2% range, which is where the Fed wants it. And, you know, Chair Powell made it pretty clear last Wednesday during the FOMC meeting. Um, March was probably not on the table. He said We're, the Fed is unlikely to be confident enough at that point to cut interest rates and essentially reiterated that point over the weekend on um, uh, that 60 Minute show. So, March is probably off the table um, unless unless the economy takes a pretty drastic turn south, which we, you know, obviously we don't want to see that. Um, I would rather see, you know, for again, you know, for me personally, I'd rather see a strong economy in the Fed holding on to rates at current levels um, and hoping inflation keeps working its way down. I think Chair Powell said it really well um, when he said we don't need to see better data. We just need to see more good data. So basically, a continuation of what we're seeing, and, and if we see that over the next couple months, you know, we get CPI next week, um, that should give us a little, you know, another update, another indicator on where that's headed, where those trends are, and um, if we can keep this pace up in the economy, and we can get to May or June, it sort of seems to be the June for sure seems to be consensus at the moment. We will have cut by then, but um, there's a chance you know May is on the table as well. So if we can get to one of those with the economy intact and basically with labor market and economy where it's at and cut interest rates. And I think we're we're sitting in a pretty good spot.
1: Explain this to me. If if interest rates are where they are, and the economy is where it is, and we're we're stable, and we we don't get to that 2%, maybe we drop below the 3% level, but we don't get to that 2%. If we leave interest rates the way they are, the debt's just going to keep growing. And, you know, we just saw a bond sale by the government. So the debt's going to go up again. And at some point we get to a, a, a place where we can't afford our debt anymore, I would assume.
0: Yeah. You know, when, when we look at it from a bigger picture, the difference in meetings, like from the March meeting that's coming up to the May meeting is six weeks, a six week difference in, and, t- and <clears throat> excuse me, a 25 basis point cut in interest rates really isn't a big deal. Um, but you know, when you look at where rates are, they are in a restrictive uh, in a restrictive territory. Like this is not a an interest rate environment that is generally sustainable, or it hasn't been sustainable for the U.S. Um, and it is restrictive. So, at some point, the Fed will have to cut those rates. We we just are hoping that it comes on the back of lower inflation and not on the back of a deteriorating labor market or a deteriorating economy, which for the U.S. kind of goes hand in hand, given how much of the economy is powered by consumption, consumer spending
1: let's get into you know the market a little bit and obviously we talked about the S&P 500 the magnificent 7 ai is the buzzword and it seems like um ai the any company that's into ai right now is doing well you have uh, i think google and facebook announced they're they're pumping billions of dollars in the 30 billions of dollars into ai and and bettering themselves how what's the ce- yeah you know, we went through the dot com bubble obviously in in late 90s early 2000s what's the ceiling on this i know that we're in the 27 billion dollar range we're talking 400 500 billion dollar industry at this point I, I would assume if it keeps going the way it's going it's going to be more than that
0: yeah ai is um it, it's it's not a hype um it's it's not built on fluff it's not a flash in the pan it, it's a sustainable um, you know, industry that has a lot of real world applications. I was lucky enough maybe five years ago, six years ago um, to go to one of NVIDIA's GTC conferences. And if it's, you don't have to go to the conferences for this, but if anyone tunes into the company's keynote addresses, um, they're so insightful and they always get me all like, get me really excited about just tech in general. But when I went to this one with AI, I, you know, I didn't know very much about it. And um, I was actually there for <clears throat> the autonomous cars perspective of it. Um, and I didn't realize how far reaching AI was going to be. Um, they gave examples like um, autonomous driving being one and and what it can do in cloud and large data sets, but also what it's doing in agriculture, what it is doing with uh, drones improving efficiency uh, on repairing oil rigs. It it was um, another example was healthcare where the AI could... It, say there was you know a hundred scans of a patient that a doctor has to look through each one. The AI could, um, you know, pick out maybe the top ten or fifteen that was most likely to be what the doctor was looking for. It just made them more productive and, um, it, and it just was an aid to a lot of these employees. And so, AI has this huge opportunity in front of it. And a lot of people do like to compare it to the dot com bust because that was the last time we saw such an enormous you know that was the internet, and that was the last. Big revolution. I guess you could say the cloud too, but um, that was the last you know huge revolution we saw that drove our valuations higher, drove these stocks higher. Um, the big difference this time being, not that the internet was hyped, but in this case, you know, Meta has real profits and real real earnings growth. If you look at um, Nvidia, who's you know arguably, I don't think arguably, but is the front runner of this revolution, right? Um, it's its earnings estimates and cash flow estimates, revenue. Not just estimates but the actual hard data it's it's all come roaring higher. I mean this caught so many people off guard and um you know there's actually a sustainable tailwind to it now, obviously are we a little bit stretched with some of these names uh, yeah, like Nvidia's rallied fifty percent in three months and a couple hundred percent over the last you know year and a half so yeah, we're probably a little stretched here in the short term, but in terms of like the secularity of the secularness of this trend it it definitely has some sustainability to it, I think.
1: you're taking little stocks like uh, palantir arm that just has skyrocketed it just this past week with earnings because of ai i missed that boat but i'm sure there's others out there
0: yeah i uh i'm i'm with you i was i also missed the boat with it so um (laughs) what can you do sometimes i guess palantir has been an off and on favorite for investors you know it's been very volatile around earnings. Luckily for bulls, this was one that market liked. They cheered it, um, they strong results, solid full-year guide. Um, you know, I think it's pushing like, it's up over 40% in three days. I don't, not sure what it's doing today off the top of my head, but um, really impressive. And when you look at Arm, same thing. I think at one point it was up, you know, 60% yesterday. It was really um, fun to watch, but uh, yeah, it's it's funny too. You know, NVIDIA tried to buy Arm um, a couple of years ago and I, th- I think it was a year ago, to the date, it's very close. It was last February they abandoned the the, the acquisition because of regulatory hurdles, and um, I think maybe now investors are seeing what Nvidia saw uh, in Arm, you know, with with uh, with what their business is capable of doing and how it can help pave that way in AI. And um, of course, Nvidia is ahead of the curve when it comes to to looking into the industry's future. It's that's their job. So um, yeah, I think there's just people are seeing that potential there now, and and they're not hesitating to dive into it at all. With your
1: research, I want to ask, is AI a double-edged sword? Because we see a bunch of companies that are announcing layoffs. uh, We're trying to run more efficiently, and as they say, and I mean, that's how Meta became profitable. Uh, They they laid off a bunch of people last year. They became more efficient, they said. Uh, Google's done the same. And there's a bunch of companies that announced layoffs because AI is replacing the people that can do these jobs. So is it a double-edged sword in a case where, you know, right now unemployment is low, but if AI keeps taking these jobs, we could run into a problem.
0: Look, in every instance, aside from basically the, the stock price, job cuts, jo- no one wants to see people lose their jobs, right? I mean, the mar- the stocks might go up and it, it will help the bottom line. Um, we're seeing that. We've seen that in big tech. We we saw it with Disney. Um, Cost cutting measures, you know, do help the stocks, unfortunately um i say only unfortunately because no like again no one likes to see people lose their jobs um that's an unfortunate reality when it comes to ai there there is going to be some there's going to be job loss tied to it there's there's no question um what the what those platforms can do maybe not necessarily as much today but certainly what they'll be able to do in the future is going to reduce our workforce in some areas and that's just a natural, I think, cause and effect. Um, <clears throat> at the top of the show, you know, I said, I'm an optimist at heart, so I like to think that um, you know the job creation that we'll see in AI alongside the boost in productivity that we'll see because of AI will more than offset those those job losses we see and just kind of shift people around in industries. Um, I think it's a little too early to tell for sure what its full effect will be, but that's sort of that's sort of my hope anyway.
1: And I I guess, you know, Disney is one of those companies that could invest in AI. They've obviously uh, invested in Epic Games, but Disney had a tremendous bump this week. They went up quite a bit after earnings and with some of their announcements. I want to talk a little about Disney. And we know that Disney was ripe for an activist uh, takeover of their board or they wanted to get some members onto their board can we, as, you know, someone who looks at the market and, and studies some companies, can we look at Disney and say, oh, you know what, these these earnings are true? Or was Bob Iger trying to stave off some of the activist people and say, okay, you know what, we're going to fudge a little bit here and we're going to make this look good so that they kind of get off my back?
0: Obviously, the market's loving the quarter. Um, you know, they, they took uh, Disney up to 52 week highs on the numbers. Um, And there was a lot in that quarter to digest. Um, We had, you know, they upped their dividend, put out a buyback, um, made that big investment in Epic Games. um, And they had, but then they had, you know, there was mixed parts of the quarter too. You know, there was the pretty big earnings beat um, a lot of which, you know, unfortunately we just said, talked about was, came on the the back of cost cutting Um, but revenue was kind of disappointing and that was, you know, flat year over year. So, Disney's not getting to where investors want to be because it's has so much revenue growth. It's right now it's getting there because of capital return and because of cost cutting measures to boost the bottom line. Um, That's okay for a little bit. I think investors probably feel more, feel confident that um, Iger is back as CEO. That's probably a little comforting um, just based on what he was able to deliver over the years prior to, but um, yeah, eventually, you know, investors are going to want to see that return to revenue growth. They're going to want to see that, you know, they look over at Netflix, they see them adding, you know, millions of subscribers every quarter. They're going to want to see Disney doing the same thing. So far, Disney had a really big initial jump in their streaming product, but they've, they've struggled to grow it since. And, um, you know, I, eventually investors will want to see that return. Um, maybe it comes from part of their investment in Epic games. Maybe it's, it's in streaming. I think the company mentioned they wanted to crack down on, uh, password sharing later this year, so and that you know obviously that that helped uh, Netflix. So you know investors are going to need to see that revenue growth, but for now it seems like a should we say like a good enough quarter to to give them a little more uh, more leash.
1: And people love their Fortnite. Right? I think that's what got a lot of people through the pandemic. But it's a you know it's a good investment, I guess, for Disney to try. And- piggyback off that and and come up with something good. You mentioned buybacks, stock buybacks. Can you explain to us, how does that work? Does Disney just say, okay, you know, I have all this cash. I'm going to buy back my stock. And is that the wisest thing to do for a company? Because Disney's now saying, you know what? We're a great investment at this point. So we're going to buy our, our, our stock back.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, buybacks can be a bit of a double-edged sword. So on the one hand, it does telegraph like, confidence in the stock price saying this is management's way of saying, Hey, look, this is we're, uh, we're way too cheap down here at these levels. You know, I think Disney came down, you know, 50, 60% off the highs and they're still pretty, even though they hit 52 week highs, they're still well off that, that high they saw in the last bull run. So it is a confidence booster for investors. I think to see a buyback come into place management saying, Hey, this is, we're too cheap down here. There's value down in these, in these shares at the same time, as many times as we've seen buybacks go, go well, you know, especially in mega cap tech and some of the bigger names, they've, it's really been a catalyst. Um, but at other times, you know, especially, you know, in some of the more struggling retail names, I, I know Bed Bath and beyond really jumps to mind. Um, those buybacks, you know, did not provide value to their shareholders and um, didn't pan out. So I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword here. I think it's a, at least a confidence booster for investors in the short term. Hopefully it's a, uh, a longer term inspiration, but yeah, it can go both ways.
1: We talked a little bit before about, you know, diversifying through industries. One industry is the media industry and Disney teamed up with uh, Fox and uh, Warner Media to create something of a a sports streaming network. You know, Netflix got into the, the sports scene by partnering with WWE and carrying their, you know, their big thing, which is raw. So that got Netflix into the, I, the entertainment sports arena, if you will. <laughs> but now Disney is really, look, they have ESPN and they have rights. But is this going to give them power now to compete with not so much Netflix, but Amazon, who's going after the football market and Apple TV, obviously in the football market and the baseball market? Is this going to make things you know more difficult in the the sports arena?
0: Man, the streaming space is so interesting. Um, a, it evolves a lot, but, but B, we've seen it change so much over the years. When streaming first came out, it was this, you know, you could get Netflix for like 10 bucks and it had, you know, all the shows under the sun. And um, as all these other, you know, all these other entertainment companies, Disney included, um, you know, Peacocks out there now, it, they realized how valuable their content was too. And they started pulling, you know, they started getting their content uh, rights back. And and now all of a sudden we went from, you know, being able to have one or two streaming services to needing, you know, probably four or five, if you want to keep up with all the things you love. And, um you know, and then on top of that, they, there's been price increases in streaming. So I think consumers are kind of getting a little fatigued of the, the cord cutting, um, you know, trend at this point, just in the sense of, is it even cheaper to have all these, you know, different services versus just having um you know just having cable. So, but on the other hand, you know, the one thing that was kind of missing I felt like from streaming was sports. You know, Netflix had a big, you know, was a is a big name in streaming. Disney Plus is big um, you know, for kids and you have Hulu and Peacock and but one thing I always felt like it was kind of missing was a was a streaming sports app. And so to to bring, you know, these companies together I think they each own like an equal share of the, you know, proposed platform. To bring them all together, maybe it's a game changer in sports. And like you said, big tech getting involved. Um, maybe they maybe, you know, the traditional <clears throat> entertainment giants, maybe they felt a little bit of that heat coming from big tech, knowing they would not be able to outmuscle an Amazon financially. Um, and certainly not, you know, Google, Apple, basically, you know, mega cap tech. They're if it's a head-to-head fight and dollars, they're not gonna win, you know, and um, maybe this is their way of trying to stave off some of that um, competition they feel from that side of things.
1: We spend so much time cord cutting and trying to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to get away from that because I can. I can just go to you know any streaming service and get what I want." But now to get what you want, you have to go to four, maybe five different streaming services. <laughs> We're going to go back to the cord because we can get a lot of the stuff we want. And you know, for for our viewers, you know, money may not be tight but you don't want to throw your money away either so where you might have been paying you know whatever it is for you know the corded service now you're going to be paying a multiple of that to be able to watch everything you want to watch
0: yeah yeah it's um with the price increases and and the diversification really we're seeing in streaming it it's really become a a math equation. You got to sit down uh, on the weekend and figure out where, where's the value? Am I, am I losing money by cord cutting at this point? So yeah, it's a, uh, it's an, it's an interesting industry for sure.
1: I'm going to have to go to my chat GPT, which I'm a, a a new adopter of, by the way, and ask them how I can just use AI to get everything that I want to watch. Because <laughs> I think that's where we're headed at this point. Yeah,
0: Exactly. Exactly. So
1: Brett, I want to also touch on the commercial real estate issues that we're having we you know nycb the previous week dropped this week it dropped a lot more i mean it's down 60 to 70 percent i don't want to call it a banking crisis because i don't want to alarm anybody and start running out and taking cash out of the cash machine but there are a bunch of banks that are in the commercial space the commercial real estate space that are are getting crushed in a way there's a lot of money coming due with the next year that you know and there's a lot of empty real estate out there so where where is the banking where does they where do they go from here with you know the banking and the commercial loan problem
0: yeah you know it is it is kind of a concern um you know to put it lightly we saw a little bit of that flare up with with those worries a um, little less than a year ago, at that with the regional banking crisis, um, the market shrugged that off miraculously fast. Um, just sort of glossed right over that reality. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a you know I'm not a banking expert by any means, so I you know I speak from what I do know of the situation. But um, I think it was just kind of a perfect storm, right? We had COVID happen where you were, we were sending all these employees to work from home, and then we had the Fed raise interest rates at an incredibly rapid pace. So, it was, not only were rates higher and, and <clears throat> that affects loans in its own way, but we had, you know, we have no one in the buildings. I, well, not no one, but you know what I mean. There's a lot lower occupancy than than pre-COVID. So, um, it's just sort of this perfect storm, and you're seeing it be, you know, being weathered in different ways. Like, especially in the banking industry, you look at, you know, regional banks. They're down. Um, I think like 25% in the last year, 10% this year, it's been a really rough start for them. Um, especially as sort of those rate cuts, the goalposts get moved back on the feds, you know, rate cutting agenda. And, but then you look at some of the, you know, the mega, the mega banks, the mega cap banks and the financial sector as a whole, it's up seven to 8% this year, three to four or seven to 8% over the last 12 months, three to 4% this year. Um, you see this sort of divergence between the bigs and then the smallers and, um, I, it's not too surprising, but it's it's something like uh, I think everyone's keeping an eye on um, for sure. But you know, it's 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 not surprising based on what we've seen in the rest of the market, right? S and P's at all time highs. Um, Russell two thousand small caps are you know about twenty percent below their high. So and tech the same way. Growth names are still really struggling, even though um, they've had a really nice three months. Um, they're still well off the highs. And a lot of mega cap tech, you know, Magnificent Seven, not all of them are perfect. Tesla kind of being the one that's not um, specifically, but as a whole, they're doing really well over the last year. So it, we're kind of seeing that divergence in the large mega caps and then the smaller, smaller companies that are more affected by rates.
1: So is there any concern about, uh, look, you know, there are some overseas banks that are heavily invested in commercial real estate here. Do you see the ripple effect globally with the commercial real estate problem here in the United States?
0: So I like I always like to say um a black swan event rarely comes from something that everyone's watching. Um and so that maybe it's a little bit of false comfort, but I find a little bit of comfort in that. Um, I like to think that um in those moments we'll find ways to whether it's kicking the can down the road a bit, at some point, there's probably going to, people are going to take some haircuts, right? Um, but we hope we can get out of this situation relatively unscathed as it pertains to the overall economy, specifically in those areas. Yes, there's there's going to be some pain. Um, my hope is just that there's not a big ripple effect through economically, either domestically or abroad and um, you know not in the market either.
1: So looking ahead to next week, what do we have coming up next week that we should keep our eye on? And, you know, what do you see you have 14 out of 15 weeks up. Or are we going to, AI is going to buoy us. We know that, but it, you know, it, we're, and I almost think like, you know what, I'm going to look at the, the top 15 stocks in the, the S and P and I'm going to, you know, create my own little fund, but where are we going <laughs> next week? What do we have to look forward to? I think NVIDIA is the last of the magnificent seven. That's going to come out with earnings. What else is on the agenda?
0: Yeah. That's, that's so funny about the S and P 15. That's uh, i I'm actually going to, when we're done with this, uh, yeah with this Only talk, two gonna, of the top
1: 15 are down, <laughs> by the way. I did check.
0: I'm going to go play with that idea. Yeah. That that sounds kind of like a fun concept. Yeah, please um, keep me in the yeah, loop if it's doing well. <laughs> I will. I'll send you the studies. Um, yeah. Next week, you know, this week was kind of quiet on the economic front, um, kind of quiet on the earnings front. Um, you know, we're still in earnings season, of course, but um, last week we had five of the seven Magnificent Seven report. So that was, you know, everyone was glued to those those outcomes. We had Tesla the week before that. So like you mentioned, we're down to just the last one Nvidia reports later this month, I believe it's on the 21st. Um, which is interesting because in, Intel has a, has a big presentation that day too. So kind of a lot going on in the semi world on the 21st, but, um, next week we get CPI on Tuesday. That'll give us a good insight on, um, on where inflation's at might, you know, tip the scales a little bit when it comes to those rate cut bets favoring May or June. Um, every inflation report at this point is probably going to be very closely followed as it has been for the last year or so. Um, We also get PPI later this week. I think that's on Friday and then we have retail sales um, sandwiched in between. Um, Hopefully we get a strong retail sales number. So much of this economy is driven by the consumer. So that'll be a a nice important update to get. And um, yeah, earnings that's, that's going to be the big one. We've we're kind of shifting here from um, mega cap tech. We're not quite to the retail portion of earnings, but we'll hear from some of those higher growth names, some of those former growth darlings from the last bull run, you know, your CoinDesk, your DraftKings, um Airbnb, Twilio. So, we'll see if um, you know, this latest run is has some legs to it or or you know, if if it starts to pump the brakes. And lastly, we have the February monthly uh options expiration. So, we'll see S&P's about 5000 now on a massive win streak. So, we'll see if maybe we kind of uh hover that 5000 number a bit. And then, you know, as those options positions expire, and we roll into the second half of the month, and into next, uh, into March, we'll see kind of how things rebalance themselves.
1: You've been doing this a while. Is there anything about the consumer confidence that surprises you? I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic, but consumer uh, expectations seem to be consumer confidence seems to be pretty high and people are still spending money.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think that that surprised me personally, um, especially less so now, more so in the last year. Um, you know, go back a year ago and the stock market was still really, you know, feeling the pain. We weren't at the lows, but we were feeling the pain from that last bear market and um rates were high, mortgages were shooting up, mortgage rates were shooting up. It was inflation wasn't fully under control. So you know, the consumer over the last year has really surprised me and staying with that confidence. And I think now they're starting to feel the impact of, you know, they're seeing inflation moderate. They're seeing prices maybe not come down so much, but at least they've stopped going up um, at such a rapid clip. And and I, it just seems to be giving them confidence, um, confidence to travel, confidence to, you know, do more shopping. Gas prices have been coming down lately. That's, you know, how that is with with consumers, big driving country. So that's like an immediate tax cut rate for the middle class. So um, yeah, the consumer confidence has stayed high. At this rate, I, I don't see it um, dipping a whole lot unless you know we see a spike in inflation or a drop in jobs. Is there
1: a- anything that you, you look at in the economy or markets that really troubles you that might keep you up at night?
0: The trend lately has been really positive. Um, <clears throat> and that's just broadly speaking. But you know you you always have to worry a little bit about um, what the fed's worried about you know so there they are still I think the market and investors came into especially came into this year really optimistic about rate cuts because under the narrative that you know inflation's beat they slayed the inflation dragon and look we didn't suffer economically for doing so um, The reality is we're not necessarily out of that, out of those woods yet um, we need to see more progress or more specifically the fed needs to see more progress on inflation and um you know the hope is that they will and the hope is that it won't come with the drawback of the economy contracting right so um i you know i always worry about the labor market from that perspective just being that if we were to see weakness in the labor market it can be kind of um <clears throat> hard to repair that weakness um it's not like flipping a switch so if we do see things kind of deteriorate there it can take a while to repair it and um you know, that would be a big concern just because of how much our, our, our country really is driven by the consumer and their spending and, um, you know, their willingness to participate. So if we see a contraction there, then that would definitely create a, a concern, a larger concern.
1: Oh, one, one fun question before we finish, is what's the best investing advice that you've gotten that you've either taken or not
0: taken? That is a great question. Um, <clears throat> I guess I will answer it from from my stance personally and it is that maybe um it's just because of the way i look back at things but when you find a great winner um don't be afraid to hold on to it whether that's you know broadly speaking if you say you, you bought the low in the S&P you know don't be afraid to just hold that but you know if you bought some of those big winners um you know fang really jumps to mind it was easy to buy them and you know see 50% 100% gains um, and say, oh, I'm locking in that double, you know, I double my money, I'm, 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 uh, I'm going to go have some fun. If you hadn't done that, you, you know, you probably 10x your money. So if you find a winner, don't be afraid to stick with it. That'd be my advice. Awesome.
1: So Brett, where can people find you on social media? I know I found you obviously on social media, because I read your tweet. But where can people find you on social media?
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter. My handle's pretty simple, Brett Kenwell. And uh, same with LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on both spots.
1: Excellent. And once again, Brett can be found at eToro. Brett, thanks so much for joining me this edition of the Weekly Market Recap.
0: Thanks so much, Andrew. I had a blast.
1: Excellent. That's a wrap on another episode of Wealthion. Thank you for joining us. If you need help being financially resilient, please head over to Wealthion.com and sign up for a free no-obligation consultation from one of our vetted registered investment advisors. And remember to follow us on social media for the latest news and information to help you invest wisely. Thank you for watching. And until next time, stay informed, stay empowered, and may your investments flourish.